All right, we are in the second week of our, of our ongoing study of evangelism by Jesus. Uh, and we're going to learn uh, through the, this series how Jesus evangelizes. And in many ways, it's very different from what we have seen in the world in terms of world evangelism. <clears throat> and today, we're going to see one of those examples. This story today will be a Bible teacher. It'll be, they call it a lawyer, but really what it is is someone who was uh, a scholar of the law, the law meaning the law of Moses. And so it's a Bible teacher who will come face to face with Jesus and who will confront Jesus. Now, it, it's somewhat difficult when we read this to understand that, that the spirit of this man is one in which he is effectively challenging Jesus. You don't necessarily pick that up from the reading, but you can when you see how Jesus responds. So obviously Jesus saw something in this man's spirit that indicated that as he came to him, he was not truly sincere in the questions that he asked, that he had an agenda. And that agenda was either to advance his own status and profile or possibly to embarrass Christ. Uh, whatever it was, Jesus saw the man's heart. And so what we're going to see here is what happens even when we come across people who may want to engage us in what I call theological debate. And I want to warn you about this, that really, frankly, little is gained from debating people theologically. Uh, if you want to advance the cause of Christ, frankly, little is advanced uh, in, in de uh, debating, let's say, denominational differences uh, and, or someone who really is not truly interested in Jesus, but is more interested in showing you how intellectual they are, uh, how perceptive they are. Uh, and so you're going to see how Jesus handles this, and yet what great lessons God has given us here. So if you turn to Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse 25, we're going to read it first, and then we'll go back and discuss it. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life. What is written in the law? Jesus replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he fell into the hands of robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side, but a Samaritan as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him and took pity on him, he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring it on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one 
who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. What a great story. Uh, and it's so insightful to see how Jesus responds. Jesus typically responds with questions. Uh, as, he res as he comes across people that, that indicate they have some interest in, in understanding the will. Uh, and so here, Jesus is explaining to us what it means to love one's neighbor. Uh, and this becomes a key issue for us in our lives. How do we love one's neighbor? What does love mean? And who is our neighbor? And Jesus answers all this by this story. Uh, and so when the man asked the question the first time, it appears to be legitimate. What must I do to inherit eternal life? But you'll notice that Jesus never actually answers that precise question. Um, and so the reason for that is that I believe that Jesus saw this man's heart and saw that he really was not interested in understanding what he had to do to inherit eternal life, but instead was interested in, in elevating his own profile, testing Jesus. And so Jesus did not give the specific gospel message to this man. He left the door open. As you read this story, he leaves the door open. Uh, and I'm sure this man left with uh, being impressed with the wisdom and love of Jesus, yet understanding that he needed to come to terms with his own heart, where he could, in fact, come back to Jesus. And so Jesus sees deeply into the heart of this man. Um, and, and so he answers the question with another question. And so Jesus said, what is written in the law? How do you read it? You're an expert. You're a scholar. How do you read it? Uh, what does God's word teach about the way to, internal, to inherit eternal life? Well, the Bible teacher cannot resist showing off his knowledge. He can't resist showing off his knowledge. And so he gives an answer demonstrating that he is not at all interested in learning from Jesus because he already knows what the law has told him. He understands it. And so he gives this answer. Now, the answer that he gives is profoundly correct. It is correct. If you lived under the law and you prescribed to the law, the law told you exactly what you needed to do in order to inherit eternal life. And that was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, with all your spirit, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And that's exactly... That's exactly uh, what this man says. Now, fascinatingly, uh, Jesus had given that same answer himself. Turn to Mark chapter 12, verse 28. It's another teacher of the law. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked them, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one answered Jesus is this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no command greater than these. That's directly from Jesus. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw 
that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. You are not far from the kingdom of God. Meaning what? Meaning you had identified the law. You understood the law. But here's the deal. Nobody can live up to the law. And that is why Jesus said you are not far from the kingdom of God. It's as if you had traversed a football field and got down to the five-yard line. But now at the five-yard line, there's only one way to get into heaven. There's only one way to inherit the kingdom of God, and that is to give the ball to Jesus and let Jesus go over the goal line. And here's the thing, that so many of us have lived our lives basically going up and down the football field and never really recognizing that the only way, the only way we can live to the law is through the grace of Jesus and the forgiveness of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. It is that grace that ultimately God gives you that allows you in God's eyes to live up to the law. You will never live up to the law. You cannot complete, complete the law. You will never be able to love the Lord your God all the time with all your heart and soul because you will fall. You will never be able to love your neighbor the way God wants you to love your neighbor. Yes, from time to time you might try, but some of us can't even love our wives or our children or our family members. Look, this is between you and God, not me. You understand this, and so God knows this. And so even though you know you understand the law, you know what the law says, unless you come in submission to God and bow before his throne and ask for the grace of Jesus Christ to come in and acknowledge him as your Lord and Savior, you're doomed to fail. You're doomed to fail. That's why this wise Bible teacher in this other example in Mark was right. You are close to it but you're not 100% there. And so you see this. And so if any of us were actually able to complete and, and live up to the, these commandments, we would inherit eternal life. If you obeyed those two commandments in perfection for your life, you would inherit eternal life. There's no question about that. But here's the thing. God never intended the law as a prescription for salvation. Have you heard that? God never intended the law as a prescription of salvation. Rather, he intended the law to be the measuring stick of the grace of God, knowing that you couldn't complete it, that you couldn't live up to it, that that state of perfection could never be achieved, that only with the grace of God could you live that way? And so you bow in submission. That's what the law was designed to do. And that's why the Jewish nation failed miserably. And that's why this Bible teacher is failing miserably because he's focusing on the law. He thinks the law is the answer and the law is not the answer. Only Jesus is the answer. You can know what to do. You can know what is right to do, but can you do what is right? Uh, and really the answer is that you cannot. You can study all the Ten Commandments, you can study the Bible, you can memorize it in every way, but, but unless you have the grace of Jesus Christ in your life, you will never, ever be able to live that way. And so 
The perfect answer here was after Jesus gave this example to this, this man, that the man would bow before Christ and say, Lord, forgive me, help me. I know what the law is. I can't do it. I can't live it. I, f- I know what, what I should do, and I can't do it. It's like Paul said. I know exactly how I should live, but I can't do it. I can't do it. Even though I want to do it, I can't do it. And I, I, I personally can, can subscribe to that in my own life. That if I were to define my life by the measure of my living up to the commandments of God, it has been a miserable failure. A miserable failure. It is only when I finally have come to understand years ago that I had to put my faith in Jesus, submit my life to him, ask for his grace to come in my life, that now I know that he, he forgives me and walks with me, and now I don't look necessarily at the day-to-day scorecard of what I'm doing because I know Jesus accepts me with his grace. Yes, I walk with him. Yes, I want to live a godly life, but if I trip and fall, I know God has poured his grace into my life. That's how you can live. You can't live any other way. I don't think you're going to be able to live up to these commandments. It's impossible. Uh, And so here you see this young man uh, really trying to debate Jesus Jesus on the issue of who is my neighbor. Come on. Who is your neighbor? Do we have to get involved in intellectual discussions? And here's a a warning to you, that when you get involved with people that seems like they may be interested in a theological discussion, but all of a sudden you're getting down in the deep end of the pool. Frankly, I'm going to say to you, I don't think that's advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, I would refer people to some treatises. You're interested in studying theology. Here's a book on theology. But in terms of me having a one-on-one with you that's designed to bring you to to Jesus Christ, I don't think that's the nature of where that's going. Uh, And you need to have wisdom about that. And so Jesus' story here about the Good Samaritan is really a theological put-down. That's what this story is. It's a theological put-down. Why? Because look at what Jesus does, and it's so typical of Jesus. He takes outrageous examples in order to make the point. So here we go. You're a Jew. We already went through that last week about how Jews revile Samaritans, right? They despise them. They don't even want their shadows to contaminate their own shadows. And yet here's this Samaritan walking down the road, and there's a Jew who's been beaten uh, into submission and robbed by robbers lying on the road. Now, before this poor Samaritan gets there, who comes first? Institutional Judaism comes first. You got it? Now, it's not labeled institutional Judaism, but it is. It's the priest and the Levite, two people that categorized institutional Judaism. And what happened? The priest comes first. And, uh, you know, if you're a priest uh, under Judaic law, you couldn't contaminate yourself with blood. This guy must have been a bloody mess. He doesn't want to touch him. He walks on the other side of the road. And the Levite, who was effectively involved significantly in the dispensement of, of, of temple gifts uh, and rites, the Levite, important in this, uh, the Levite sees it. And even though he's not in the level of the priest, but he too sees it and despises this person, I can't do it. And so Jesus is showing how the institutional church is failing. It is failing. Why? Because it has lost its love. It has lost its love. 
And that's one of the first messages here for us, that, that you recognize that love is the key quality of being a Christian, that we love the lost, that we love those who are down. We love those who need mercy. We love those who have been treated unjustly. You are called by Jesus to dispense the love of Jesus to this world. And so you see this here. Uh, and so what happens? This Samaritan, this person who is considered at the bottom of the food chain, at the very bottom of the food chain by institutional Judaism, comes upon this Jew and dispenses love, unbelievable love. Now, why do I say unbelievable love? Because he just doesn't pat him on the head and put a Band-Aid on him. What does he do? He looks at him. He washes his wounds. He bandages his wounds. He puts him on his horse. He puts him on his horse, and he walks next to the horse as he comes to an inn, meaning what? He put himself below the person that needed help. He recognized that God had used him in that way. And so here he is. I want you to think about this. You, when you come upon people that need help, that God says to us, don't think about your exalted position. Don't think about who you are. Think about who Jesus would do. What would Jesus do in a situation like this? And so now the Samaritan walks and the bandaged bleeding man is on the horse and now he brings him to an inn. And so what does he do? Does he just drop him in the parking lot? Does he drop him at the front stable? Go in and say, hey, there's a guy outside. He's in bad shape. You know, what would we do? Hey, you know, you go to the hospital emergency room. Hey, I found this guy out in the street. You guys, you take care of this. Not my job. Do you see what happens when Jesus infects us with his love? You see what happens? How your neighbor now becomes so poignant in your life. So he goes in and he gets a room for this guy and he gives money to the innkeeper. And then he says, I have to continue on my trip, but when I come back, I will pay everything that is owed for this man. Now you understand how great is the love of God when you see it dispensed by a Samaritan for this man who was found on the road. That's why this story is so poignant. Jesus is mocking institutional religion. It's institutional religion that should have recognized this. It's institutional religion that should have preached love. I mean, they should have gotten it from the very beginning, but instead they had myopia. All they could look at, all they could look at was the very words of the law itself. And not understanding what the words meant. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your might, with all your spirit. What does that mean to love God like that? It means to emulate God, to be the hands and feet of God in a lost world. That's what it meant, but they didn't get it. And they didn't get it when he talked about loving your neighbor. All right. They didn't get, they didn't understand the import of those words. Uh, and so here uh, it's our neighbor, as Jesus has defined it, who demands that I love. It's not just your spouse. It's not just your children. It's not just your close friends. It's people who God puts in your path. You know, it's like that woman that, we, that came into our path a couple years ago. The woman, uh, the grandmother uh, who had to adopt her five grandchildren 
because her son uh, had killed himself and then killed his wife. And here were these children from the ages of, of nine to 18 months, effectively abandoned. And so here she is, a grandmother who had taken on that responsibility. Uh, and, and so, look, nobody came to us. Nobody came to us, but we saw that need, and God put that need on our hearts. That woman became our neighbor. And so by the grace of God, as we came together, really as a community of believers, we, together with my groups in Sunday, together <clears throat> were able to buy that woman a house to live in and paid it off free and clear and filled it with furniture because it was the work of God. That's what God wants us to do. That, ladies and gentlemen, is your neighbor. That's your neighbor. You understand it? The person who is needy, who is, comes before you, who has no other place. Uh, and and I'm, I'm sorry to say that in many ways, the institutional church fails. It fails. She didn't have an option. Nobody was standing up for her. And yet it was clear that God wanted us to stand up for her because that's how God has defined for us as men and, uh, and women of God, how God has defined for us who was our neighbor, what's our role. Look, I pray to you that, you that this may hit home, that you recognize that God is calling you to be the hands and feet of God. Your neighbor is anyone who is in need of help, anyone who God has put before you. And if you are like I am, you ask God every day, Lord, put those people before me in my radar who you want me to help. Let me have wisdom, Father, as to how you want me to handle this. Ask God, and God will do that. He will do that. And so we have to be a, a, attentive to this. Uh, and so here's the point. Did the priest and the Levite know the law? Yes. Did they think they were obeying the law? Yes. But in reality, were they obeying the law? No. Can anyone really obey the law? Only one ever did. His name is Jesus. That's the only person. And so merely knowing the commandments, merely knowing the law, merely knowing what the scriptures say is only half of the equation. The other half of the equation is basically to live your life in accordance with them. And the only way you can do it is if you bow in submission before the throne of God. And so as Jesus finishes this story, and he, and he speaks this story, he, he asks this very poignant question. Which of these three was a neighbor to the man who fell to the thieves? Which of these three? And look at even, look at even how the, how the uh, Bible teacher answers. He can't even say the word Samaritan. He can't even say Samaritan. Instead, he says, the one who showed mercy. Yeah, you're right who happened to be a Samaritan. Uh, and so what we see here is, and Jesus says at the end, go and do likewise. Now, this isn't the gospel message that you typically would expect to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's not the message that you saw with the Samaritan woman at the well, because there was a person who was truly looking to understand what the will of God was in her life. And she had come face to face with her inadequacies. What you see here is when God sees that you bow in submission because you come to the conclusion that you have failed, 
that you are short of the mark, that's when God steps up and, and, and enters your life. This man never said, I need help, I need prayer, I can't live like this. He never said it. And so Jesus says to him in the send-off, go and do likewise. Now, I will submit to you that I believe that this man continued to think about it, and I hope that at some point he would come back to the Lord and the Lord would have shown him that he spent time with him. And so certainly he would have given him an opportunity to come back. And when he would have come back, I'm sure Jesus would have advanced the gospel story. Uh, and the gospel story always begins with recognizing the deficit in your heart. Recognizing where you are. I can't live like this, God. I can't live by the law. I'm a miserable failure. And then God pours his grace and love into your heart and lifts you up. And so what do we learn here? We learn here that evangelism is often a slow process. Uh, Jesus was content on this particular occasion to send the man back uh, without the message of the gospel saying, go and do likewise, meaning the man was not prepared to hear the message of Jesus Christ, not prepared for the gospel message. And so we have to be aware of this, that when we talk to people, when we pray about it, we want to make sure that they are prepared to hear the message. And the only way they can be prepared to hear the message is through the Holy Spirit, that the soil is prepared, ready to receive the seeds. And you see this, and we need to grasp this truth more deeply. Do we do we as Christians trust the Lord, trust the Lord uh, enough to send someone away who is not yet prepared to hearing the message? Or do we think that if we don't do this, we don't step up, that, that we have lost an opportunity? Not recognizing that it is God that saves. It's not us. So many of us have put us on an equal footing with God. Yes, I have to do God's work. That's right. But remember, it's his work, not your work. You're not working your way to heaven. You're not saving anybody. God's using you as a messenger. Well, then have the, the attention, the attention of God to understand when this message has to be delivered and to who it has to be delivered. Do we recognize that many of these people who we meet in this world are not yet ready to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? just as this man was not ready. You know, Jesus said it when he sent the disciples out. What did he say? Go and find, go to a house and try to find a person who is a lover of peace and go to that house and give the message. And what happens if you're not accepted there? What did Jesus say? Shake the dust off of your feet. Shake the dust off of your feet. Not every person is prepared to hear the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so what does it mean? We can be confident that Jesus was eager to communicate the gospel, communicate it despite the closed heart of this man. And yet he recognized that this was an arrogant man. This was not a man that had come to terms with recognizing his own particular need. And so all of us, all of us have family members, family members, friends or neighbors that need to come to hear the gospel. But not all of them are at the point where they are ready to hear the gospel message. 
and how to inherit eternal life. Jesus never answered it specifically with this particular man. And so Jesus' primary means of communication, as we see it, is by asking questions. Asking questions. Why? Because Jesus wants people to come to terms with their own heart. That's what he did with the Samaritan woman. You'll never see Jesus declaring judgment on somebody. You're a sinner. You're going to hell. You're outside of God's will. You don't see that. He didn't do it with the Samaritan woman. He didn't do it to this man. He didn't do it. But instead, he poses questions. He raises questions. Those questions are designed to have us answer them. But as we're answering them, reflecting on our life, reflecting on what God is saying to it. How am I? Am I loving my neighbor? Am I truly loving God with all my heart? Am I truly stepping out for God? Am I truly doing this? And so you see this and understand this, that this Bible teacher had little knowledge of his own heart. He didn't come to terms with his own desperate need. He knew the law, but knowing the law is inconsequential. You're not going to heaven because you know the law. You're going to heaven even if you don't know the law because you've accepted Jesus Christ. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to get to heaven. All you have to be is a submissive person asking Jesus into your life. You don't have to have a PhD in divinity to get to heaven. You have to have a PhD in Jesus, recognizing who Jesus is and bowing in submission. And so you see it. And so here's the problem. Many people, I think, need to hear the law before they are ready to hear the gospel. You hear what I just said? Many people need to hear the law before they are ready to hear the gospel. Why? Because they don't understand the standard of God. It's only when you understand the standard of God, the holy bar, how high it is, how God is holy, that you then come to understand your need. The problem with the world is we have basically got into moral relativism. You know what that is. That means I'm not so bad. Look at my neighbor. I'm a lot better than him. He's a bum. He's a lousy husband. He's a lousy father. He never goes to church. I, on the other hand, oh, I, oh, yeah, God. Oh, I'm so blessed. I go to church all the time. I'm a good husband. I'm a good person. I'm a good person. I know I've got a lot of points up in heaven. Jesus is just marking the points down for me one after the other. You understand? As if your works would ever get you to heaven. But that's how the world understands it. Do you understand? Instead, we need to study the law. Look at what the commandments are. Are you truly loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your spirit? Are you loving God like that? Are you loving your neighbor as yourself? You can't even love your wife as yourself. How many of you every week have some issue with your wife? You understand it. Don't raise your hand. I don't want to know. <laughs> You know what I'm talking about. Some of it isn't even articulated. Am I right? They look at you with a certain sideward glance. Does this make me look fat? You understand what I'm talking about. It's the nuances. And let me clue you in, guys. Nuances are sin. You got it? Nuances are sin. It's the sin of the mind. Coveting the thoughts of, of the mind, and God has elevated this. I mean, really, 
Look at the bar. If you really want to understand the greatness and holiness of God, at your free time, read Leviticus 16. That was the holy day as God laid out what you need to do in order to be purified by the high priest to go in and do the sacrifice on the day of atonement. Read it. It'll blow your mind. You've never seen so much bloodletting and sacrificial burning and, and washing of garments. It goes on and on and on until finally the high priest can go into the Holy of Holies. But even then they tie a robe around him, a rope that has bells. Why? Because somehow if he did not atone properly, he will be struck dead there and they'll have to drag the corpse out with a rope because nobody else can go in and get him. And that has happened where God had done that. So here's the thing, folks. You want to present the gospel of Jesus Christ? People need to understand the law because when they come to terms with the law, they need to bow in submission. I cannot do it. I cannot live that way. I'm far from the mark. I don't care if I'm a Bible scholar. I'm a Bible teacher. It doesn't matter. I can't live that way. Only through the grace of Jesus Christ. And so you see it at this point, this man's heart is not ready to accept Jesus. He's not ready to hear how he can be saved. Uh, and, and as long as that is the state of your heart, you will not be saved. The gospel cannot be heard by people who think they don't need it. It is only when you recognize that you are lost, that there is an incredible hole in your heart that the gospel fills. And so here, the Bible teacher needed to hear the law clearly first. And that's what Jesus has done. Even though he knew it, Jesus repeated it and elevated and said, this is what you need effectively to inherit eternal life. And guess what? You're not there and you never will be there. You'll never get to it. Uh, and so this is an important lesson to me to see how Jesus responds uh, to people who maybe are not truly uh, brokenhearted, who are not truly interested in the gospel. Uh, Jesus explains the law, but Jesus comes short of defining salvation. Uh, I'm convinced that, that, that Jesus will eventually speak again to this man. If this man comes back with a broken heart and a need, I'm sure Jesus will do that. And, and so there are so, some important lessons here. How do, we, how do we respond to our neighbors? What's our role as men? What's our role as Christians? You're going to leave here today and one of the questions you're going to have to ask yourself is, how does God want me to, to act to my neighbor? How does God want me to act to those that require mercy, that those that require justice? How does God want me to act? How am I to be the messenger of God? What are the things that we need to do? Well, the first thing you need to do is pray for other people, just like we do here. That's the first role of the church. And Christians, God wants you to pray. You see a need. You see a need in your neighborhood. You see someone that's desperate. You pray for them. You don't even tell them, have to tell them that you're praying for them. But you need to pray. You need, and when you do that, you have a kind of brokenheartedness for these people, knowing that they need the love of Jesus. And so then, what else? Then you need to grab every possible opportunity to do good. Uh, and you do it with great love. And when I say this, it means this, that when you need to step out and do good, you do good without elevating yourself. 
This is a hard one. You understand? This is a hard, hard one. Because in this world, we have been told that, yes, it's, it's a good thing to do good, but we would like our name on the building. I'd like to see the John Garippa Pavilion for the gospel of Jesus. Really? Really? Is that what you'd like to see? Then you're a loser because you haven't understood anything that you've been preaching about for all these years. You think you need to elevate your name when Jesus himself said that when you do good, don't let the left hand know what the right hand is doing? Do you see the difference between the economy of God and the economy of man? Man would never do this. Yes, I, I want to do some good works, but I would like a little applause. I would like a little encouragement. Uh, and here's the thing. God gives you the applause. You understand? God gives you the applause. I'd rather have the applause over on that side than on this side. All right? That's what God says. That's how we need to live our lives. So when we do the good, God says do it anonymously. Don't make a big deal about yourself. Lower yourself. Let everything be to the glory of God. How can it be to the glory of God if it's to the glory of John? It cannot be. It cannot be. That's why whenever I, I understand this, God has given me the grace and called me into ministry. I bow in submission because I recognize it's his call. It's his gifts. It's his opportunity. It's not me. Yes, I may be using what he has given me, but it's him. It's not me. And when it becomes you then it's not him. You got that? When it becomes you, it's not him. Never let, never let it be you. Let it be him. And when it's him, he multiplies it. He multiplies it and he will grow it. And he will lift you up in so many ways that you do not understand it. And he will pour more gifts into your life that you will see it. What else can you do? Visit the sick. How's that? Visit the sick. Visit those people that are stuck in hospitals that can't get out. When you know brothers or sisters are hurting and they're in a hospital, do you pick up the phone? Do you call somebody? Do you see how you're doing? I know some people say, well, I don't like to be with sick people. It drags me down, man. Drags me down. Well, guess what? We're all going to be sick someday. You're not just punching a cart to get out of this world alive. You're going to get sick recognize that and have a heart for those who are sick. That's your neighbor, the one who's stuck in a hospital, the one who's sick. Pick up a phone, call them, tell them you care for them. Look, we've got people in this class who have been sick for weeks now. Have you thought about writing them a note and reaching out to them? Really, think about that. God wants you to do that. That's who your neighbor is. Uh, and, and so uh, give up the thought of being getting reciprocal benefits back. You know, that's how we are as human beings. It's like, well, I'll, I'll, I'll do something, but I would like some reciprocity. You know, I want people to really acknowledge me. I want people to be grateful for what I'm doing. Here's the thing. The gratefulness comes from God. The gratefulness comes from God as he acknowledges what you're doing for the kingdom of God. That's what it's about. And so that you'll begin to understand how we fit in to the greater economy of God, what our, what our roles are. Uh, and so what it means is that when you are living the life that Jesus wants you to live, that through loving your neighbor, you have become a blessing to others. 
You have become a blessing to others. You have reflected in your life everything that Jesus reflected in this world. Unmitigated, unending blessing. That's what God wants us to do. So we are to love others regardless of race, religion, uh, or color, or creed. The criteria is simply need. Simply need. And for some of us, the only people we seem to be able to help are people that are either in our church or in the parking lot. And God is saying to us, that's not the answer. That's not the answer. I'm sending you out into the world. I want you to impact the world. There's so many people that have a need in the world, and you need to be my representative to the world. And that's what we need to know. And so here's the thing. If it is need, if it is need that, that God is giving us to respond to, then we have the supply. And so we give generously. Why? Because God has poured love into our hearts. Everything we have, everything that we hold, every, all of our talents, all of our gifts, all of our possessions, all belong to him. And when we bow in submission to him and we say to him, Lord, I want to be your man. I want to I impact this world. I want to love my neighbor the way you want me to love my neighbor. I want to love God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my might. I understand today what it means, what it means to come face to face with God and what the call of God is on my life. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for this lesson. I thank you for this demonstration of the Good Samaritan, Lord, to understand how we can step up where even the institutional church may fail. But you call us, Lord. You call us to this role. And so I ask that our men resonate today with this call and admire Jesus and adopt him and his character as we impact the lost world. Protect our men. Be with them this week and bring them back safely to continue the study of your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you all. See you next week.